This is episode two. We're going to talk about the start. So let's go over what it is to start, which route to take, cameras to start with, and we'll talk about point and shoots, SLRs, and other cameras. Let's go. Hello. This is the Film Game Program. In this program, I will be guiding you through obtaining the skills needed to become a street and film photographer. For those who already shoot, this is a refresher. This is the Film Game. Grab your camera, bro. This is free game. Free game. The, 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 the film game. It's the film game. Defined as the book and street smarts to film and street photography. The film game is where it's at. Everything you need is in the film game. The film game. Everything is in the film game, bro. Yo, yo, the film game. We'll search Ronan. Yo, this is The Film Game, episode two. This is your host, Ronan Rose. Thank you all for listening. We're going to go over a couple things today. I'm excited to get this episode out because every time that someone comes up to me and asks me about photography or about starting photography, this is the first question they ask me. The first thing is always, what camera should I get? And like, how should I start? I put this episode together specifically with you guys in mind. But also, this is what I would think is the second important step into getting into like photography and taking pictures, etc. So we're going to go over a couple things before we get into the actual episode. There's just a quick note, a little thing that I just want you guys to keep in mind throughout this episode. And it's that there's no right or wrong way to start. Another thing that I would like to for you guys to keep in mind is that when you're starting photography or taking pictures, etc., check out what your favorite photographers are doing. Use Instagram, get into the world, uh, check out what people are shooting, how people are shooting. From there, you can kind of like build your own aesthetic out of it or create your own niche, as we spoke about in episode one. In this episode, we're talking about the start. We're talking about what starting is, how to start, which route to take, all that kind of stuff. And then I got like a couple suggestions for cameras for you guys to start with in different ranges, depending on what you want to do. So this podcast is catered more to street photography and film photography. But I do understand that a lot of people want to go down the route of digital photography instead of film, or maybe they don't understand it, or maybe they just haven't explored that idea yet, which is totally fine. It's okay. I personally feel like starting on either end of that spectrum, it's rewarding in different ways. So I started shooting digital first. I shot digital for about a year. And then after that, a year later, I went into film and then I started shooting film. And I kind of like, I did take a class as well in school. So it was a little different for me because they were teaching me the things that I would eventually learn on either or on either end. The first topic would be learning film versus digital. So which route should you go? Should you go with the film photography first? Should you go with the digital photography first? As I said before, there's no right or wrong answer. It's all up to you, however you decide that you want to do it. In my opinion, you learn differently when you, you know, depending on which one you start with. A lot of the people that I know, they started with film photography first and then they switched over to digital. I learned the opposite way. That doesn't mean that anybody's going to be better than anybody else or that you're going to get to a different level. It's just... It changes, one, how you shoot, and two, how you set up for your shop. 
So with me, for example, I went digital first. When you go digital, right, it's easier to go back and check your footage and see if you got the right shot and see what you need to change, etc. But when you're learning film first, it's a much more longer process in which you have to understand more or less exposure. Um, and we'll go over film in the next episode, next Tuesday. I feel like you learn your exposure with film first. You're going around taking pictures. You're trying different settings depending on what the box tells you to use. If your film speed is 400, you set your ISO to 400. And then you start to learn how to shoot at 400 so that when you do get over to digital camera, you already know more or less like, all right, well, it's partly sunny outside. It's like a big soft box outside. It's mad clouds. I could use 400 or I could use 200, et cetera. So you start to, to learn the, the exposure side of things and what numbers to use. The time that it takes for you to get this feedback and for you to like sit down and review it is a lot longer unless you just go the same day, get it developed, and then you know you're you're right then and there, you're good. So it all it all depends on how much time you take and what you're shooting. When you go to the digital side, I personally feel like you learn your composition first. What happens is that you're on a digital camera and you know that you can mess up and you know that you can keep shooting. So what you ultimately end up doing is you step to the left, take a picture, step to the right, take a picture, move back, take a picture, move forward, take a picture, get low, take a picture. And then now you have all of these different compositions on your camera immediately. So like you're you're getting feedback as you're shooting. And so the uh, attention doesn't go much to the exposure because then you go on post and then you start mixing things around. You change the color, the white balance, you change the, the brightness, et cetera, the curves. That gives you more of, especially like if you shoot raw on a digital camera, then you have more of a range of what you're editing. With the film, it's kind of like a trial and error, but you would have to do more research first because money is on the line. You know what I'm saying? Like you're buying film over and over again. You're paying to have it developed over and over again. So it's kind of like a, yeah, I get it. Like, it's a trial and error kind of thing, but like you're paying for these trials and errors. I developed a couple of roles not too long ago, and one of the roles was on a Fuji Superior 200, and it expired back in 2006. I didn't know what to expect because that expiration date is crazy, 2006. And I went, shot with it, got it developed, and all the photos came out a little lighter than what I would have wanted, and they came out greenish. I realized that I just kept getting the exposure wrong. Like, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And then I realized that when I was <laughs> trying to edit the uh, film photography on Lightroom after I developed it, it wasn't 100% what it would be on a digital camera because there's no information stored in the picture. It's literally just a picture. So that's something to think about as well. Do you want to get into the design part of it or do you just want to take pictures? And that right there would depend on what camera you get, which leads us to our next point. What camera should you get? Now, this portion of it is, is it gets a little confusing or a little detailed much. It depends on, on 
how tech savvy you are or what you already know. There's several different types of cameras and it depends on what you're shooting or how you want to shoot things or what you want to do that determines what camera you should get into. The first group of it would be the point and shoot cameras. Point and shoot cameras have been quite popular lately. It's super accessible. Everybody's like, you know, a lot of people are doing like street photography and and that's the aesthetic that they're going for. A point and shoot camera is like it's always in your pocket. You're always walking around. And if you got to take it out of your pocket and just, hey, take a photo and keep it pushing. That's the perfect part. If you don't want to worry about your settings, that's also a great scenario to be in because of the fact that the cameras are already automatic all the time. The only thing that you would change on some point and shoots would be the ISO, which is the box speed, there's point and shoot cameras that you just tuck the little film into into the camera. And then from there, boom, you're done. Like you close it and then it'll wind up automatically. The cool thing that I like about it is that a lot of point and shoots, they have their own personality based on like the lens. So the Ricoh is a 35 millimeter 2.8 lens. And then the Canon that I have is a 38 millimeter 2.8 lens. It changes the aesthetic of it. Like, it changes how the pictures look. I love personality when it comes to a camera. A lot of point and shoots, um, you have, like, the Olympus, which has the zoom feature, the autofocus feature. So there's a lot of features that come into these, th- these point and shoot cameras. With the point and shoot cameras, when you look through the viewfinder, which is where you put your eye, you're looking straight into the open world. You're looking straight through the camera so that you can see what you're taking a picture of. When you're using a single lens reflex, there's a mirror inside the camera. The information gets collected through the lens, bounces off of the mirror. You see it on your viewfinder. So when you put your eye to the camera, you're literally looking at what the lens is looking at. The benefits of that is that when you focus, you see what's in focus and out of focus. That's when you can get like a little fancy with it because those cameras are usually uh, manual. So there's more technique behind it. You're changing your f-stop. You're changing your shutter speed. You're changing your ISO. That would allow you to take pictures completely differently. So much that you could change around the settings wise. Like if you want to get a more creative shot, uh, if you lower your shutter speed and someone is walking across the camera, you're going to see a little trail of that person because they didn't like fully grasp the photo. So those are all things that you can do with it. Now, from there, you have DSLR, which is a digital single lens reflex. So the DSLR is the same thing. The single lens reflex you see through the lens. You see from the viewfinder through the lens. um, You can see what's in focus, what's out of focus. It's just a digital camera now. So it's no film photography. It's just an SD card. And then when you get into mirrorless, It's just a digital representation of what the lens see. When I got my Sony a7 II, that completely changed the game for me because of the fact that when I was looking through the viewfinder, I was literally seeing what the output was going to be. So if I change the, the exposure, if I change the shutter speed, I can see the lighting change. I can see it get darker. I can see it get lighter. So for me, that's like the ultimate help because... I don't really, I never really use the screen on the camera. Like I always look at the viewfinder, but then like when I had my Canon 70D, I would take a step back and just like look through the, 
the camera so I can be like, all right, well, my settings are getting there. They're getting close, et cetera. That's how mirrorless really like changed the game for me. Not only that, but when you're on a mirrorless camera, it's better for low light. And if you do video, there's more stabilization on the video itself because of the sensor that's in there. It's kind of like floating in there. It's kind of like suspended. The mirrorless cameras was a whole game changer. I I love it. My Sony A7 II, I've had it for a very long time and I plan on keeping it for a very long time. I might upgrade to something more video savvy so that I can continue with the photography side as as film. I personally started off with a DSLR, which was my Canon T1i. And then a year later, I got into the SLR, which is the Canon uh, AE1. And then after that, I got myself a bunch of like uh, point and shoots. The point and shoots is what I use the most, carry it with me to my car every day. The next um, kind of like topic that I want to talk about when it comes to like the type of cameras, I call them toy cameras. They're not really toy cameras, but they're pinhole cameras. So a pinhole camera would basically be like your film inside of a box and then a hole in the front of that box with like a little door, a little latch that covers that hole. So for as long as you lift that door up, light is coming through, burning an image onto the film. It either makes it lighter, 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 or it stays darker, depending how much of the light goes into the film. The toy cameras that I'm referring to are lamography cameras. My brother and I, as I mentioned in the last episode, we both use lamography cameras a lot the lamography cameras are super fun you yes any camera you can use any camera to get either street photography done or portrait photography whatever just get creative with it the lamography cameras will put you on a more creative kind of like state where one of the cameras that i have is the the sprocket rocket Times square edition and Every time you take a picture on a film camera, whether it's a point of shoot or a SLR, you have to like wind it to the next footage or it does it automatically so that the film could move over and you can take the next shot. With the sprocket rocket, it doesn't have that mechanism. So you wind forward as much as you want or you wind backwards as much as you want. What it does is that it creates double exposures, meaning taking two pictures on that same frame. It's a creative kind of technique. It's something that's like for fun um, or depending on what you can do with it, you can use it for whatever you want to use it for. There's no shutter. There's no like no automatic mechanism in it. Everything is literally manual. You switch the focus you want. You hold it down for as long as you want to keep the shutter open and you call it a day. I feel like they designed it that way with the intent of it being fun and for you to just learn and just, you know, do your own thing. But in reality, to get like a very like decent, like a, not decent, but like a perfect exposure, you would have to know more or less like what you're dealing with, especially like in the low light situation. You have to leave the shutter um open for much longer. The shutter is what opens and allows the light to come through the lens to burn onto the film. So you have to leave it a lot more open. You have to leave it open for longer so that you can get that proper um, exposure and you can be able to get that proper picture the way you want it to be. So I would suggest checking them out to see if, and just watching some videos on that to see if that's something that you like, because it does get fun. It does get creative. They have their own film also. I'll go over those films um, in the next episode as well. Now that we've gone over some of the cameras, the point and shoots, SLRs, DSLRs, mirrorless, and 
quote unquote, the pinhole cameras, the toy cameras. I knew what result I wanted. Like I knew what I wanted to get out of a camera. I knew what aesthetic I wanted I wanted to go to because of the fact that I was exposed to like what Kadeem was doing and how he was shooting. And so going through other photographers, watching, looking through magazines, I, I built like an eye for what I wanted to look for in a camera, what I wanted to get out of a camera. With that being said, when I was doing photography, Instagram had like just started, like just, just started. I was taking pictures on my phone and that's the only thing that I had. It was like the iPhone 4 at the time. And so I kind of had built my own kind of like aesthetic without realizing. Now, I'm not saying I'm the first to do it. Years later, when I actually started getting into the whole thing of like the photography I decided to look up mobile photography without really like thinking about it, like super subconsciously realizing that at that point, that was years later. So like the iPhone 10 was out and um, I had came across this video, uh, Joe Greer, I think his name is. He was like doing a whole video about mobile photography. He had an iPhone 6 at the time and that's what he was using to like take all these pictures. And I thought that was dope. So what I mean by that is find out what your favorite photographers are doing, because if you see a certain aesthetic of pictures, they're coming out the way they're coming out and you're like, yes, like I need my photos to look that way, then find out what gear they're using, find out what cameras they're using. Now, everybody gets different results from cameras all the time. It happens because of the fact that you use cameras different. If you're on an SLR and you're over here changing up your settings, you're going to get a different aesthetic than what the next photographer is going to get. If I use the camera wrong, then I'm going to get something that's underexposed or maybe underexposed is what you're looking for. So it all depends, right? Find out what camera they're using. Look up that camera. And then find some videos on it. Try to find more or less how they're putting it together, what settings they're using, what they're getting out of it. Because if that camera continues to give the aesthetic that you're looking for over and over again, then from there, you can be able to, to really make a decision on whether or not that's a camera you want to get. I think that's like the first step to understanding what camera you would want. What camera you would start with really doesn't matter. On Instagram, I started on my phone. For a photography class, I started on the Canon T1i. They was giving us Nikons. And then I started on a, and then I switched over to a, a Canon AE1. But I did put together a little list of cameras that I would suggest to start with. Um, the list itself doesn't really have a purpose or a theme or anything. It's just cameras that I know I've experienced, I have experience with, and it's cameras that I know that are good and that they can be found maybe easily, maybe not easily. I don't know. But they're cameras that I know are they will get the job done, not only for now, but a couple years up, etc. It would always get the job done. So the top five cameras to start with, in Ronan Rose's opinion, the first one I would go with is the Ricoh AF40. I recently got my hands on the Rico AF40 and they're they're pretty cheap. It's like on the $40, $50, $60 range. Uh you can find them on like Facebook Marketplace. You can find them on eBay. Uh, I'm going to go into where to get like cameras and stuff 
later, but just know that Facebook Marketplace and eBay, if you're into film photography, is going to be your best friend. Your best friend. That's where I find all my stuff. The Rico AF40 is the same thing, more or less, as the Rico AF5. But the AF5, for some reason, is the more popular one, and it's just a little bit more pricier. So that one goes up to like $80 to $100. I like the boxiness of the, the shape, so it, it feels good when you're holding the camera. It's a camera that you can easily put in your pocket. That goes together with the Canon SureShot AF35M or the M2. That camera has three names. It's a AF35M in uh, America. It's a Canon SureShot AF35M in England, I think. In the, uh, damn, I think in Japan it's called the Auto Boy. So I think that's cool. Like if I was to have a camera that says Auto Boy on it, fire. I have the Canon AF35, uh, AF35M2. You will find that that camera looks exactly, eh, not exactly, but it looks very, very similar to the Ricoh AF40 or the AF5. Um, the difference is that the way you turn the camera on, it has like a little button, well, a little like slider that when you slide it up, the Canon AF35M2 turns on. On the Ricoh, all you need to do is take out the lens cover and the camera turns on. Uh, moving on would be the Canon AE1. There's no way that I would make a list of what good cameras to start with and not throw that camera on there. That camera is such a worthy mention. Um, at the time, I got the camera for $125 from eBay. It came with three other lenses and a leather, kind of like a book bag, kind of like a shoulder bag thing. Right now, that camera's up to like $225. So it's such a different ballpark of where we are with film the canon ae1 is a slr so a single lens reflex camera and you can have interchangeable lenses on it you can i have a 28 millimeter lens because it's a lot it's more wide and then i have a 50 millimeter which is like 50 millimeter lens is like the portrait ideal lens a 50 a 35 and an 85 the next one would be the nikon one touch 35 millimeter and that one is a glorified point-and-shoot camera. Back to the same kind of like design aesthetic of the Canon uh, AF35 and the Ricoh AF40 and the AF5. And those three, they're all automatic loaders. So you just slide the film in there, close it, and it'll automatically um, start looping the uh, film around. Um, so that puts us at one, two, three, four, five. That puts us at five. So the Ricoh AF40, Ricoh AF5, Canon AE1, Shoshai AF35M, Nikon One Touch 35mm. My sixth suggestion is it doesn't matter. You guys probably saw that coming. It doesn't matter. Just whatever you get your hands on, there's people that they shoot with super old cameras on purpose. I bought a, a Ricoh AF40 on purpose because I like the body of it and I found it to be super cheap, $40. So I ended up getting it, not expecting much out of it, getting really decent photos with it. It doesn't matter. A couple of the things that I would point out would be um, ask like grandparents or something. A lot of time, grandparents, they got cameras stashed in there. And, and next thing you know, it's a Canon 81. Always ask your grandparents. They might have something in the stash. Um, 
the next two worthy mentions would be to look into the Lamography line. Check out Lamography cameras. Lamography cameras, they got something good to offer. Aside from that, it would be the Olympus MJU-2. The Olympus MJU-2, in my opinion, color-wise and functionality-wise and size-wise, it's such a, what do you call it? It's such a versatile camera. Like, it's super small. It's something fun. It's something, you know, you can take really great pictures with. And that's something that I've seen over and over again, like on videos, etc. Like that's a camera that a lot of people go to. It's a little bit more on the pricier side, but it's definitely worth it for sure. All these cameras, they're not going to be easy to find. It's not something where there's just a store that has a bunch of cameras and it's just like, all right, well, let's go. Let's make it happen. You got to be resourceful. You got to be resourceful. And being resourceful means making friends on Facebook. Go on the, the Facebook marketplace, Salvation Armies. I bought a Polaroid Sun 600 for $15. And then there was a Salvation Army in Long Island that I went to that had an Olympus um, Zoom 140 for $50. And that camera goes for like 160 So that was a lucky find. I didn't get to get that one, but it's all good. There's different places. There's different ways that you can find these cameras. And upon finding these cameras, it's rewarding. Like, it feels rewarding because you feel like you have something antique. You feel like you got something nice. And then also you make friends. If you go on Facebook and you join a Facebook group, there's a bunch of 35 millimeter film photography, uh, new photographers, um, photography group, all that stuff. Talk to these people. Hey, what cameras are you guys using? And can I see some of your work? And they'll post photos with the cameras that they're using, letting you know what film type they're using, all that good stuff. eBay is another place. You go on eBay and you can find a bunch of stuff there. You can find a bunch of cameras there. Um, sometimes you might even learn about these cameras internally and you might need to buy a donor camera so you can like fix it, etc. Another important thing to think about, whether it's tested or not, that's something that you have to ask. Always ask if the camera is tested. A lot of these people, what they do is that they sell these cameras. They don't know where it's tested or not. You spend 30, 40, 50, 60, $100 on a camera. Next thing you know, you take a picture and there's nothing but light leaks on there. That's something that you need to understand that it comes part of the film game. It comes part of buying cameras, looking for cameras online. Um, these point and shoots are all digital now. I, the only thing I think, I don't, I'm not sure if, if companies are still making film cameras. I know that the only film cameras that are being made now is Lamography. But if we're talking about like Ricoh AF40s and Canon, nah, like they don't make them anymore. So these cameras are old. These cameras are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. So you have to understand that as well. Always ask if it's tested. Always ask if it's uh, film tested as well. A lot of people, what they do is that they click the shutter button and they say, oh, it works. Let's sell it. But they never develop a roll of film on it. So they don't know whether or not it's actually tested. Uh, moving on, thrift shops is another great place to to find these cameras. There's a spot in Queens. I forgot what the spot was. My brother was the one that put me onto it. But they have like a little basket of like cameras. If, you, if you're in New Rochelle, in New Rochelle, there's a spot called Home Fair Cameras, which is where I get my some of my cameras. I got my Ricoh AF40 from there. I got my Canon um, AF35 um, M2 from there. If you go to Photodom NYC on Instagram, it's photo, 
F uh, P H O T O D O M dot N Y C. They're in Brooklyn. I forgot what area. They always have like cameras. You're gonna spend around one hundred and fifty dollars for like a, a a nice point and shoot there, um, which is it's good. They have like Yashikas and there's a bunch of brands and stuff, but they have a good selection of cameras. Um, when you go. B&H on 34th Street, I think it's 34th, something like that, by like 9th, 34th and 9th or something like that. They have a lot of stuff in their used department. They have good prices. So that's another place that you could find as well. If you just go in that store, if you've never like done photography before, just go in that store and just walk around. Like there's so much in there. It's crazy. Uh, those are my suggestions of places that you could go. Start doing your research. Start looking up what you want to shoot, how you want to shoot it. Um, go back, think about the last episode of what you're trying to shoot. Go on Instagram and you see that somebody is taking photos the way you want it. Hit them up. Chances are that if you comment, these photographers, they like to talk to people in this community, especially if you hashtagging on Instagram and all that stuff. Chances are that more photographers will follow you for your work than models will for your money. Not for your money, but you know what I mean? Like you get more photographers supporting you than you will get clients and customers. Not saying that you can't get clients and customers, but that's normally what happens. That gives you opportunity to build your network, which is briefly what I spoke about in the last episode. The last point that I want to cover before I let you guys go is what if you're doing video? If you're doing video, right, then we have to get you to the DSLR route of things you have to do your research on what camera would be the best for video in my opinion in my opinion if you're doing vlogs and stuff like that and you want to point and shoot i would do like a sony rx 100 or the sony a6000 or the 5300 which you could flip the camera over that's for people who are like vlogging if you want a camera that's fully capable that's a beast and that's gonna last you 10 years, go with the, the Sony A7 series. So the A7 III, um, the A7C, those are cameras that you can do professional videos with. You can do music videos. You can do vlogs. You can do films. You can do all that stuff. But also, the doesn't matter part of it is here as well. There's an entire rig for video for the iPad. And now with the phones, the way the phones are coming out, the way the iPads are coming out, the quality is incredible. So you can definitely get yourself something that will put out that kind of quality. So do your do some research. Um, those four cameras, more or less, is what I would suggest something to start with. Um, Sony A6000 or 50A5100, I think it is, or 5300, one of those. Um, Sony A7 III, A7C. And um, or the Sony RX 100 line that that concludes this episode. I hope you guys um, picked up enough information for you to like start making a decision. I don't I don't expect anybody to make a full decision out of this one episode of podcast because there's so much to talk about when it comes to like cameras and stuff. I do hope that I've at least put you in the right direction of making a decision. I would like to see what cameras you guys pick up 
or what you guys are working with, we can do that by hashtagging this is the film game. Post up something on Instagram, hashtag this is the film game. So if you do end up picking up a camera based on these suggestions or based on any of this information, that'll be dope. I would like to connect with you guys for sure. So this is your host, Ronan Rose, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Stay easy. Chill out. Have fun. We're going to be some beast-ass photographers. Watch. This concludes this episode of The Film Game Game. We encourage you to revisit these episodes so you can fully obtain the knowledge we have for you. We will catch you on the next episode. And always remember, carry your camera and shoot at all costs. This is The Film Game Game Game.